their desperate rush to vaccinate all adults and eligible children, governments have taken to demonising the hesitant, you know, the great unwashed. In Victoria, citizens finally revolted against tyranny, shocking the Victorian government and its allies. It is said that the people are revolting. You said it, they stink on ice. No, Your Majesty, this is a very serious problem. The peasants feel you have no regard for them. What? I have no regard for the peasants. They are my people. I am their sovereign. I love them. Paul! Construction workers and other groups protesting against mandatory vaccinations and the failure of their leaders to protect them brought Melbourne to a standstill. The city filled with riot police and unruly mobs resembled a war zone. It's where the police got marching and, unfortunately, little old ladies got knocked down. Workers are not taking well to home detention, loss of income and vaccination by coercion. Censorship cannot hide the adverse effects of vaccines. Many in healthcare and emergency services choose resignation over vaccination. Discriminatory vaccine passports have yet to be introduced in Australia, but governments are already warning that many services will not be available to the great unwashed, you know, the unvaccinated. Governments are waging war against their own citizens and it won't end well. Manny DeGarry was a healthy, happy, straight-A student from Ohio who enjoyed life before receiving her second dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine at the age of 12. The now 13-year-old was one of over 2,000 voluntary participants in the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine trial for adolescents. Maddie's mother, Stephanie DeGarry, joins us to talk about the shocking effects of the vaccine on Maddie's health and the heartless treatment she received. Stephanie, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. After Maddie fell ill, did this end her participation in the Pfizer trial? Um, It did not. So Maddie got, there were a lot of people that were taken out of the trial that after the first dose, but she had a normal reaction after the first dose. It was the second dose um, that she had the reaction to. Um, So we, my husband, um, works in the medical field and he knew that if they unblinded her early that she would be taken out um there was no benefit in us taking her out of the out of the trial she had already had both doses all they were doing from that point on was monitoring so no she she's she's still in the trial were you and maddie made aware of the possible side effects of the vaccine before (laughs) participating in the trial itself none of the side effects that she had No, it was just basically the side effects that we were made aware of. And I can share there was both a parent and a minor, like um, informed consent. They called it something assent, I think is what they called it, um, that was given to us. But it was basically the side effects that could happen were whatever happens from COVID, (laughs) you know, a fever, sore throat, just not not the scary stuff, just the minor things that would happen from COVID from somebody that doesn't have a bad reaction. 
Um, but they always put that disclaimer in. We don't know what could happen, but we've tested. I forget how many people had already been in the trial. And we actually had a friend that was in the trial and she did not have a reaction. Um, so it really, other than the, the worst thing, basically, that they said that could happen was an anaphylactic reaction. So by them not telling you or you not knowing the, the adverse uh effects or uh, just how bad it got was that on their part was that ignorance by not knowing or was was that more do you think it was more deceptive that they did know so i think they knew honestly i do because things i i do i think they knew i can't say that for a fact because you know i'm not them but i so when you say ignorance Sometimes I wonder, should I have researched? But all that would have come up were what people call the anti-vaxxers information. Mm. So I didn't believe those things before. I, I really didn't. Otherwise, I would not have agreed to allow her to participate. So I did not put her in the trial. She and her brothers had asked to be in it. Mm. Both my husband and I agreed to it. We had never had an issue with any other vaccine we trusted. We trusted what was told to us, and it was not what would ha what happened. Has Pfizer or anyone else connected uh, with the trials reached out at any stage to offer assistance to yourself or to Maddie or to the family? No. The closest that we've had is the trial doctor, which was um, Robert, Dr. Robert Frank, and he works for Cincinnati Children's, and I would not say that he reached out. There were two like normal visits that we have with all three kids. That's part of the trial. He came at the very tail end and um, we had one phone call with him. And then once it came to the financial part of it, like paying for the doctor bills, they had us um, move. Sorry. They had us, they basically pushed us off to somebody else that was in within Cincinnati Children's, which is where the trial was held. Mm. So they haven't paid for anything from a medical standpoint. We're not like, I'm not even talking about anything beyond just the medical expenses. It's been our insurance and Medicaid. That's terrible. How do you feel? About we did not have Medicaid. We only have Medicaid for her. I'm going to be clear on that. And it's for one year and it's because she was hospitalized for a year and it was approved remarkably quick. Is that more on their part, not for example, yes. not admitting liability. And so therefore- I, I did not even know that I could get this. They are the ones that told us about it. What's Pfizer saying is the cause of Maddie's condition? So if you look in the EUA that they submitted, they you can I know which part was Maddie and it's, it's where they say, I think it's on page 30 or something, it's functional abdominal pain. And then the other thing that neuralgia, which is like the pins and needles, um, and they are saying that it had nothing to do with, um, I mean, with that, well, so the functional neurolo the functional abdominal pain, still investigating is what it said, I think, in the EUA. And if you look in her charts, she was diagnosed with functional neurologic disorder on April 8th, which was a day before 
the um, EUA was submitted. That's when they mm -hmm. put it in her chart. And they're saying the cause of it is anxiety. She didn't have anxiety added to her charts until mid-March. I forget the exact date. She did not have anxiety before. She doesn't wow. have anxiety now. So that's what they're saying it is, and that it's mm. due to anxiety. This all started in less than 12 hours from when she got the second dose. We read that very few tests were done at the beginning to diagnose Maddie's condition. Why was that? I mean, I can only speculate. I mean, they did some very basic tests. Um, it, I mean, renal profiles, just, well, they did urinalysis, which a bunch of them came up with blood in your urine, which they never addressed. Mm. They didn't do an MRI, but they did an MRI of her spine the day before the cutoff for the EUA with the data, which was March 12th, I think. Don't quote me, but close around there. Um, I just, they've never done a D, I don't know, D dimer, the thing to check for blood clots. Um, they started doing some more tests in June. She got the, her second vaccination January 20th. So that long from then, I mean, and she has a bunch of things coming back abnormal and she still has problems. So mm. they, they didn't even do an MRI of her brain until June. Mm. So, so anything that would show anything like you need to do it soon mm. after. Yeah. What is Maddie's condition today, and is she expected then to recover? So right now, Maddie's still in a wheelchair. Um, she can't feel from her waist down. This has been for, I, I mean, they didn't put her in a wheelchair until April. I mean, they were having us have her scoot around on her bottom because they th because they, they thought it was functional neurologic disorder. But she's in a wheelchair now. She can't feel from her waist down. She can move her legs, but they feel like they weigh 100,000 pounds um, because she can't feel them. She Because she can't feel from her waist down, it affects her um, urinating, it affects her bowels, it affects a lot of things. Mm. She can't feel anything. Um, so she also is unable to eat. So her body in the beginning, and it just progressively got worse where she started off, she would throw up like, I don't know, like three, four hours after she ate. And then it started getting closer and closer and closer to the point where she couldn't even swallow. Um, from what I understand from other people, it's really an allergic reaction is your body is like, that is bad. Don't put that in me. So basically anything that's put into her body is bad. So she has an NG tube right now that she was given in April um, when she was hospitalized for the third time. And that's what she relies on for nutrition. Her metabolism's messed up. I mean, everything's messed up. Nothing's working. She has memory problems. She mixes up words. She um, has issues, but like she can't hold a pencil. Her eyes. We have a we have a doctor's appointment. She's been to two, just regular optimal like regular eye doctors for glasses. They're he, then they're like we can't get. I don't even know what to do because her eyes are so messed up. So she's going to a specialist on Friday. 
She's had physical therapy. She got better for a while. Not when I say better, like she could walk with an abnormal gait in a walker, mm. but she had an MRI with contrast and it did something to her because once again, her body, no matter what is put into it, if it's something foreign, it's bad and her mm. body reacts. I, there's something wrong. So she's not better. I personally think she will get better because that's how I am. I'm positive. Mm. So, but she has not gotten the help that she needs because I doctors don't want to touch her with a 10 foot pool. She's the only 12 to 15 year old in the trial that's still in it that was injured. And if they admit it, I don't even know if they're allowed to. Well, if they admit it, the whole the whole ball game is changed, and they're not going to admit it. But exactly. you, you're trying to you're trying to tell your story, and uh, yes. social media. Sorry, my dog. <laughs> That's right. They're, they're telling you to hurry up. They're hungry. You see. Yeah. You're trying to get the story out. You've been censored by social media. Mm-hmm. Why is that? So the first time that we were censored was when I talked at Senator Johnson's. Um, press release and mm-hmm. it was on Twitter. Some people had shared it and they blocked all the videos. They said it was a mistake. My daughter is, she was 12 when she had the vaccine. She's 13 now, Maddie. She, I don't know what child that age doesn't have a TikTok account. <laughs> That's like mm-hmm. what they do. She has had three accounts banned, literally just erased. And she doesn't talk about the vaccine because she doesn't want to talk about it. But she is on these videos in her wheelchair with an NG tube. I mean, not talking about it, but they've been banned. We have no clue why. I've looked at her videos. I monitor them. There's no reason. Mm. No reason. So she just creates new ones, but they keep banning them. Um, I don't post stuff on Facebook anymore because of that, because... I don't want to lose my entire Facebook account because it's mm. like oh, there's a lot on there of my kid's life prior mm. to this that I don't mm. want to lose. So I just don't even post anything there. But with Facebook, what it is, is it provides a platform for support mm. for people like that's what I found is, I mean, that's how I got help and connected with people that made me realize that there were hundreds of thousands of people that we're in having the exact same thing happening to them that Matt was happening to Maddie, mm. that this was not just her. It's like, I get sad every time. Like I can't even go on it as much as I did mm. before because I know what's happening and I see new and new stories every day. And then they shut down these support groups and they're not doing anything but providing help to each other because there is no help. Nobody's mm. helping them. Nobody's helping anybody that's been affected by the vaccine because they don't want to admit it. What would you like people to know about Maddie's experience? Um, I would say that if you are one of those rare, and you can call it rare if you want, if your child is one of those rare incidents, like where they have an adverse reaction, you will have no help. You can't do anything. No doctor will help you. You will have to figure this out on your own. And it is virtually impossible. Your life's, your child's life will be changed forever. The other thing I'm going to say is I, I have long COVID. And I'm on support groups for long COVID. 
the reaction that people are having to the vaccine is the same, but it's the vaccine people I feel like are like 10, 100 times worse. Mm. So I am not anti-vaccination, but I, I just, for the, like, I won't get my kids vaccinated. The other two, because one got the placebo, they were all in the trial. One got the placebo, one got COVID and got one dose of the, the vaccine. He actually was in the trial. Mm. I will not, I won't because, and I have a brother-in-law that got the vaccine and he ended up in the ICU, almost intubated. So I just, they're not telling the truth. Is my just? There's nowhere you can do research. There, there's nowhere. There isn't. Mm. It's being buried. And if anybody sees this, know that. I mean, I can't give advice. But if I could go back, I would let my mm. my, my kids fight COVID. I got COVID. None of them got it except for one. They were tested multiple times. Hindsight's a really bad word, but. Do you, do you, can you imagine or could you ever believe that humanity could be so bad no. or so evil in this day and age? No. I trust everybody. I, I make, ex- my husband always jokes and he's like, you make excuses for everybody. I do because I trust everybody. Mm. I do because I always try to look at the other side. I can't, I'm to the point where I can't see the other side. I can't. I cannot see the other side other than evil and greed and this is like, it's it's like a like the worst Lifetime movie, if you know what that is, that you could ever watch. Mm-hmm. Like it's the stuff that you just think it only happens in movies, not in real life. I, like I, it's insane. It's insane. The stuff you're, that has been done. You're an educator. This is a you know, not one of the questions we talked about it, but you're an educator. Are you scared for your students as they grow up? I can tell you school. So I've only been in education for two years. I was an electrical engineer before Mm -hmm. Uh, I decided to follow my passion. Unfortunately, right in the middle of COVID, actually, I guess it's been three years. It's been three years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I work with special ed. I, the schools are a mess. They are. But the funny thing is there's so few sicknesses in these schools. There aren't, nobody's dying. Nobody's, nobody's in a wheelchair like my daughter. I'm in an elementary school and the only other person that I I knew two other people that were injured and they both had the vaccine. Mm. I don't know of anybody from COVID. Nobody. Now, I'm not saying it's not a horrible disease and it can't kill you. It can. It's a decision Mm. you have to make. It is. But you can either protect yourself from COVID and just be responsible Mm. Or you can go get the vaccine and take a chance that if you're one of those rare people, which isn't Mm. rare, that you're going to have the same thing happen to you if you get the vaccine. You can either make it happen to you or you can be just wash your hands, Mm. wear a mask or whatever. I just I don't even know if masks are the wash your hands. Mm. (laughs) Just be sensible. Yes. Yeah. And are people going to get sick? Yes, they get the flu. They get all kinds mm. of stuff. The flu kills people. Mm. It does. Mm. But you can't tell anybody that. One, they won't believe you now. And, and secondly, you can't mm. read about it because of the censorship. Yeah. Look, you're a proud American. 
America was looked at from the rest of the world, uh, and we're no different, by the way, so I'm not just saying this is America. Mm -hmm. What's happened to America? It's not what it was before. Like, you have no, we're losing our rights. They're, I mean, they're on the brink of mandating, I mean, they are mandating in certain circumstances the vaccine mm. to people that don't want to get it, that are afraid. And that's not right. Mm. It's not right. It's not protecting them. It's not. It's mm. not. Stephanie, it was a, a real pleasure. Um, a lot of hope there still. Uh, but, mm. you know, reality says also that, you know, we're all in for a, a pretty hard ride. Thank you very <laughs> yes. much for talking to us. Thank you. Dr. Jessica Rose has a Bachelor of Science in Applied Mathematics and completed her Master's of Science in Immunology at Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada. She completed her PhD in Computational Biology at Bar-Ilan University and then did her first postdoctorate at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Molecular Biology. Dr. Rose challenges the official position of the political health authorities who advise that the thousands of reported deaths and hundreds of thousands of adverse events reported to VAERS are not caused by the COVID vaccines. Dr. Rose, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Very yeah. nice introduction, by the way. Well, thank you very much. It was great. <laughs> hey, can you tell us briefly about your background and how you got into studying VAERS? Uh, sure. Uh, well, my background is based on a fascination with viruses, actually. That's how I got into this whole thing. Um, and I was actually meant to go to Australia uh, in just prior to the announcement of this pandemic. Uh, and I didn't end up going. So the life course kind of changed. So I was looking for a new project uh, following my my latest postdoc, which was in um, biochemistry. And so I decided to teach myself R, this programming language. And the best way to do that, of course, is to use a real data set for playing around with. So I decided, you know, based on the situation the world was in, that the VAERS database, and for those of you who don't know, this is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System for the United States. I decided to use this data as my my playground for teaching myself R. And it was just meant to be that. But what happened was the data became very interesting very quickly and very atypical when you compared it to the data from the previous years. So I, I decided to start writing it up. Uh, I published my first paper in May, and uh, this was a general paper reporting on the situation, which uh, showed uh, high rates of death, uh, severe adverse events in general being reported to VAERS, and uh, cardiovascular, neurological, and immunological adverse events being reported at very atypical rates as well. So, and then it evolved from there. I'm, I've got a couple more papers in peer review right now. Um, one is on myocarditis, which are the, uh, the heart incidents that are being reported yeah. in young people in the context of these, uh, these injections. Even the CDC admits to this. 
and uh, and another one on pharmacovigilance of VARES. So there right. there are some uh, some things that everybody should know about VARES uh, that makes it imperfect, but it's still better than having nothing. Can you talk about some of the main areas of concern with the the injections? Yeah, with with uh, you know you do regular updates. Uh, tell us yes. about some of the main areas of concern with VARES and. Um, you know, I've heard that uh, from one data analyst who we've had on a few times has said that um, he believes that they've been throttled. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough uh, was talking about myocarditis and there are about 5,000 now cases reported to VAERS. Uh In Australia, the TGA says it's of not much concern because it's very rare. Yet Peter said, you know, Dr. McCullough said it is of concern it is not rare. And when you have teenagers, for example, uh, having uh, heart failure uh, becomes a, a very serious concern. So these are the sort yes. of things we're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, hi, Peter. Uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's a good comrade of mine in this. Um, so my, I think the thing that I would talk about primarily are the lost safety signals. So there's in terms of uh, what it is. It's a pharmacovigilance tool, which means that it's supposed to be used by the people who designed it, the CDC and the FDA, in order to detect safety signals that weren't detected in pre-market testing. So it's, it's actually quite useful for that, even though there are so many things going wrong with it and even though underreporting is a huge issue. So what I mean by lost safety signals uh, is primarily about data not being entered on time. And I'm not saying that anything nefarious is going on there, but it's a very, very real thing. And I think it has more to do with the fact that there's such an enormous amount of data and there's a huge backlog. So it's very easy for anyone to imagine. If you have more data coming in, which is being processed by human beings then they can handle in the time frame that they have, then most or, or a huge proportion of that data is not going to be entered as it comes in. It's going to be entered when they have time to enter it. So what I've shown in my pharm- pharmacovigilance paper is that the actual number of reported, let's just say severe adverse events, which includes death, for example, or disability, or life-threatening condition, the number that's being reported at the time that it's being entered is very, very different from the number that occurs for up the update. It's, it's hard to describe this. So let me, let me backtrack. The VAERS data is updated weekly. So every week you have a fresh, new, updated, overwritten data set, which includes, it should include actually, all of the data from the previous updates, and of course the data from the most recent update. So if you actually took all of your weekly updates starting from January and you plotted them on a graph, you should see a cumulative increase in the number of adverse events being reported for any given adverse event such as death, if you can imagine that. It would look kind of like an exponential curve going up since we are seeing a cumulative uh, increase. Um, So if you take that same 
if you take the most updated data set, say from September 9th, and you plot the number of deaths the same way on the same axes, the XY axes, according to week, say, those two plots should map together or follow the same trajectory very well, but they don't. They don't match up. So without a visualization, uh, it's, it's hard for me to, harder for me to describe, but what that means is A, there's a huge chunk of missing data unaccounted for, and B, the safety signals being lost. If there are 50,000 reported severe adverse events on, say, March 30th, and the number that showed up for that update was only 5,000, let's, I'm, I'm just pulling numbers out, mm. these aren't real, then if somebody's watching VARES, say somebody's on the fence about whether or not this is a risk to them, because this is all about a risk-benefit analysis as per individual, and they see that the number isn't high enough for them themselves to say, nah, there's no risk here, no problem, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. Mm. They're being deceived, what, again, whether nefariously or not, because that number is not the right number. And this isn't even taking into account the underreporting factor. So there's a huge problem with the, with the association with the backlog and retroactively added data, which results in lost safety signals, which is the entire purpose of having VARES as a pharmacovigilance tool. So that, that's, that's one of the main scary things going on right now that people should be aware of. Could you tell us about the debate over causation? I mean, how causation is analysed and what these stats are telling us using this analysis? Sure. Um, an epidemiologist uh, or a bi biologist, if they wanted to attempt to provide evidence for causation... In, in, say, a biological system, they, they should use something called the Bradford Hill criteria, which is a list of nine to ten criteria that you should satisfy in order to say, yes, it's, it's very likely that we have a causative effect here. So I've employed this, and I've, one of my papers shows this. Uh, I have a, also a, a VAERS update for Vaccine Choice Canada on YouTube that people can watch to get a good description of how this works. So the problem is that there, there's a large group of people who absolutely, from the get-go, absolutely refuse to admit that there's a possibility of a causative effect of the adverse events from the injections, which is very, very unscientific from the beginning because you can be 100% sure that if there is a causative effect, you, you wouldn't see anything happening if the people didn't get the injections, if you follow mm, my logic. Mm. So um, th there, there is absolutely zero doubt in my mind, and I'm not advocating anything here. It's just that I've been looking at this data for months, and there's no doubt in my, in my mind that what we are seeing are causative effects. There's a number of different ways to provide evidence for this. Beyond just looking at this and saying, well, if, if you suffer an adverse event 30 minutes after an injection, there isn't a single doctor or thinking human being 
who shouldn't think immediately, well, I wonder if that's because of the injection, because it absolutely could be, and it probably is. So the temporal aspect is very important in one of these Bradford Hill criteria. Um, so it, it, this is my opinion, but of course, you know, I, I think I'm qualified to, to give one. There, there is no doubt in my mind that these injections are causing the myocarditis in children. And there are a number of publications, very recent ones that have come out that actually show clinically and with histology that the, the impaired or attacked hearts of people who've had the injections are showing different signs, are, are different clinical manifestations of myocarditis, which they are associating with the injections that are different from the myocarditis that's induced from COVID. This is irrefutable. Troponin levels, for example, I mean, Peter, well, he, he's a better one to talk about this, of course, but the troponin levels themselves are completely different in the two cases from viral induced myocarditis versus injection induced myocarditis. They're completely different. And this is how science works. I mean, classification of, of, uh, of vaccine-induced myocarditis versus viral-induced myo myo myocarditis is done like this. We see this, we see this. These are different levels. We can draw a line between the mm. two, etc. So, yeah, there's there's no mm. doubt that there's causation, and and I I just don't. It doesn't sit well with me that the argument being used uh, to to deny this is well, you can't co prove causation. It says it in a paragraph in bears. I mean, come on, come mm. on. It's the onus is on the the opposition of causation to provide evidence, clear cut evidence to support what they're saying. And and that's that's the interesting thing because from the beginning when I first raised this back in May, I was I've been very open, absolutely open to any other interpretations of why we see a clustering of adverse events being reported within 24 hours. Is this the psychological effect? Is this causation itself? I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely open, but nobody's been able to challenge it. What's the so, FDA and the CDC saying about causation? They deny it. They say it, it, you cannot mm. uh, determine causation from VAERS data. So anybody who is, is just wrong. And the, the, it, it's, it's not even commonsensical to, to say that. It's not scientific either. I mean, all the data analysts working for them, they have to see what I'm seeing and they have to see what anybody looking at the VAERS data is seeing. And it's, it's very suspicious, if nothing mm. else. Mm. I mean, yeah, I that's what the, I have to say. I think the whole exercise from start to, to now, which is not finished, is very suspicious. Another, yeah. con another conversation. Uh, can you explain <laughs> what breakthrough infections are and what the statistics are showing? Sure. So a breakthrough infection, uh, I actually did some etymological research on this word. It, it actually has a military background mm. and it comes from uh, breakthrough, which is to like uh, override a barrier. So that's precisely what this is. So imagine you, you're, you're a person. I, I think that's easy for most of us. Imagine you're a person. Haha. -ha. 
uh, and you <laughs> I am. there's there's my silly joke That's and you it. don't want to get covid because you're afraid you know that mm. it's going to damage you or kill mm. you or or you're going to pass it on to your family etc so you're you're told that uh, the, these injections are going to prevent that from happening so you you think okay i i should go do that because it, it's it's going to make everything better so but you're you're you would think that the primary uh, motivation for getting injected would be not to get COVID, right? Mm. So, what a breakthrough infection is is the 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 ob- ob- obtaining of COVID anyway, despite having taken an injection that's meant to provide protective immunity. So, the barriers of the immune system in the form of antibodies and say T cells that are meant to be there to fight off a a challenge with the virus say a wild type virus or a variant are are ineffective so you end up becoming uh, uh, you end up getting covid anyway so that's a breakthrough infection mm. and what's interesting uh about the data in uh Israel right now anyone can go to a website called our world in data and you can you guys can all see this for yourself it's a beautiful thing this our world in data it's actually uh, created by data scientists who I, I imagine are unbiased so it's just data so you can go there and look so what it's showing is that um, first of all there there's a large proportion of people the case count is going up really high in Israel mm. that's number one the percentage of uh, variants in in the people in Israel are 98.18% delta so there's this uh this coexistence of delta presence and cases going up and uh tertiary injections being given so we have millions of our population now who have received a third dose of these products and and I know someone, I know actually a few people, and I realize that's anecdotal, but it fits with what we're seeing in the data, who are triply injected and still have COVID. So there, there's, it's basically, if, if you were going, it's like Byron Bridal always says, he teaches this in his virology course. If you were going to give an example of a vaccine that was ineffective, and, and call it a vaccine failure, this would probably be a good example. Not, not, I'm not trying to trash anything. It's just that, that that's how science works. It's like you want a product to do what it's meant to do, which is reduce transmission and provide protective immunity. And, and, and it's not doing those things. We all, we all knew from the get-go this doesn't reduce transmission. They've, been, they've actually admitted to that. So mm. it's... it's um, it's a little bit of a head scratcher there. Like, how come, if if there are so many breakthrough cases, and I actually have the number here, and my numbers again for the people listening, this does not take into account the underreporting factor, and there are estimates that uh, that say that we are only seeing one to ten percent of the actual uh, adverse events going on. And again, this is only the states. Mm. But we're already at almost 20,000 breakthrough cases for, uh, for COVID-19 in the context. Uh, again, remember, this is in the context of people who are injected. So it's kind of stunning. Um, 
And if I was a person, and I, I guess I am. You are. And yeah, I, I would be thinking to myself, well, if it's not preventing transmission and it's not really reducing serious symptoms in, in, high, risk, uh, in high risk groups in some cases, and it's not protecting me from, say, new variants or escape mutants, then what's the point? Why not, why not try trusting the immune system to do its job? which we we clearly see is the case in in most people under 50 definitely in children i mean that just makes no sense injecting children i mean are you kidding me mm. there's there's no data that supports that at all that's that's just like okay now we know that you guys are are you've got something up your sleeve here because that makes no sense at all it's interesting the i mean just thinking of the children being vaccinated and they're uh, they're pushing it down now down to like five years. In fact, we had a uh, my oh, Jimmy it's three here. Wow! So we've still got yeah. a, a way to go to catch up, but we're getting there. And that's, <laughs> but that's but that's not a nice that's not a nice goal to have. My gym instructor, by the way, and I should actually ask for my money back because it doesn't seem to look to be looking after the temple all that well. But anyway, the he his wife is five months pregnant, and she went to the to the, uh, the local doctor, the GP, and said, look, should I have the vaccine? And the doctor said, yes, you should. And, oh, dear. And, it was, and uh, anyway, we had a chat about you know, some of the, because um, I'm no doctor, so I can't advise anybody, but I pointed to some of the uh, interviews we've done and read some of Peter McCullough's um, uh, information and do a bit of research, and they've decided, no, it's not the way to go. But where do you think this this great urgency to get a vaccine, to have a jab in your arm and to make that your, your lifelong ambition to have a jab every, you know, every three months. I mean, why, why the big push, do you think, from, from governments all around the world? No one is really exempt. Um, I, I'm not even going to guess. I, I, I think this is uh, it's a question that might never be answered. Um, it's a question that our children and their children, if they make it, will be asking. I mean, it's 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 very strange uh, mm. for anyone in medical sciences who's still thinking clearly about this to to come up with uh, a logical reason because mm. there isn't one. Um, it's it's very very strange, and I think. I, I think about this every day, of course. Everybody does. But uh, I think it's more than about money. Mm. Um, because if it was just... I, I mean, they're, they're, they're all stinking rich by now anyway. I mm. mean, the pharma companies have made a killing. Uh, all these... Um, the, the online uh, guys, like the Amazons and the mm. Zez, they, they, they've made a killing mm. from this. I mean, so I don't think it's only about money. Um, of course, it's probably about power and control that's mm. obvious but that doesn't answer the question it's there's still this why mm. hanging over our heads and and i've asked this uh in in many interviews i'm like why is there such an insistence on getting everyone injected it's so weird why are they incentivizing it with with like uh, age related um uh, treats like pizza, ice cream, uh, money. Like, w what is that? That's mm. really weird. Because if your product was safe and effective, 
then people would take all the people would take it without worrying about it. So it's it's absolutely clear. And actually, I, I, I show this with data in my latest VAERS presentation. Mm. <laughs> they're not safe or effective. Mm. It's it's really, really clear to see that if you if if you just look a little, you, you don't have to dig. You don't have to um, you don't have to be paranoid. You don't have to be uh, a so-called conspiracy theorist, which mm. seems to be everybody's favorite word lately. You, you just have to look and and you don't have to be a data analyst either. Just uh, guys, if if you're if you're interested and you're on the fence and you're listening to this, just go into your your local adverse event database and 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 look around. Read a, read a bit of the uh, the reports. You, you'll probably be really surprised. Do you think? And, 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 sorry, sorry. Keep going. My fault. I no, it's no problem. I I was thinking about your the pregnant uh, woman. Mm. There, there. This is a part of my presentation as well, and. I mean, it's just mind-boggling to me. If you, if you just go look at the published Phase three Pfizer trial alone, that's it. That's all you got to do. You look at the duration. It was six months, okay? First of all, when, when we say this is a rush job, that is not just words. This was a rush job. Mm. And I go through this in my video of how long it's meant to take for a a biological product to get onto the market and into humans. It's meant to take up to 10 years. So this this was a total, total, total of about a year. Six mm. months for phase three trials. Last time I checked, the duration of, of a human pregnancy was nine months. Mm. So there's not any physical possible way for them to have collected safety data in the context of pregnant women. And I know this for a fact because pregnant women and lactating women are on the exclusion criteria list for the trials, which means that they're not allowed to participate. So how is it that they jumped directly from that to saying that it's safe to put into pregnant women? That is, is probably the most stark disconnect that I've seen here. He said, though, this guy said to his doctor, is it safe? And he said, yeah, it should be. Oh, my. <laughs> but oh, went, my. I mean, thank God he's not a brain surgeon. In my case, yeah, you'd, right? have to, you'd have to use dynamite or something. But, I mean, a general person, <laughs> I mean, it's... But, you know, have you ever seen... I mean, I'm just thinking about all these trusted professions. I mean, you look at the the, uh, the white coats, the doctors, medical profession. It had a fair amount of trust there. You look at law enforcement... Uh, journalism has been going down at, at, at a great rate of knots. But can you think of any any profession at the moment out there that the public should have confidence in and trust? I can't. Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe a lumberjack. Uh, no. or, but look at the military. I feel sorry for the military because they do what they're told to do. Well, I feel sorry for everyone because, like... My answer would be I look to individuals mm. and luckily I've always been that kind of person mm. anyway because like grouping to me in the first place is is it's kind of a weird concept. I I but that's a whole other ph philosophical debate. Mm. Uh, what conclusions though have you drawn from your this latest study of VAERS? The adverse event counts in general are extraordinarily mm. atypical 
uh, you can look all the way back. Like Ver started 30 years ago. Uh, the inception was uh, 30 years ago. Uh, I have a nice chart at the beginning of my latest update on YouTube. Just type in Jessica Rose Vare's update. Um, that shows very, very clearly. And you don't have to do any statistics on this kind of plot. It's very stark contrast between the, the, just, the, just the counts, like just the number of adverse events that have been reported so far to VAERS. It's, it's, it's over a thousand percent increase, if, if that even is a thing. Mm. Um, and that's the total. But if you, if you siphon off any group... Or, or standalone adverse events such as death or a group such as cardiovascular events, the, the rates of increase, and it's still increasing, by the way, people. There's no, there's no logistic curve in sight here. We, we are still in the exponential phase of what will be in a logistic curve, but we mm. are still on the grow here in terms of severe adverse events. In terms of uh, miscarriages, this this number is very very concerning. Even though the you know the officials would say, well, it still only represents a, a minor uh, percentage of you know the da da da. But the thing is, to me, and and this was supposed to be the name of my first publication, I I cannot stand it when people are used as statistics because every single person that dies as a result of this needs needs to be accounted for and and that's that's another thing that really uh pisses me off about this uh, mm. to be a little more colloquial Th there is missing data from bears and it's not accounted for and everyone who is very deep inside this data knows the exact number and it's it shouldn't be happening if a bears id is removed from the system if it's removed from the front end publicly available data, there has to be some kind of note as to why it was removed. Mm. Because otherwise, what that translates to is your grandma who trusted this system, who got injected, who ended up dying from COVID anyway, is, is being erased. Mm. And I'm not okay with that. And nobody should be. If you guys, you know, have friends who are saying, put on your mask, you're killing grandma, tell them what I just said. Because these things are actually killing older people. They are. There's no, no refuting that. Mm. COVID is a threat. Okay, yes, there are higher risk groups. But these, these products can also pose a threat. So, again, this is all a part of the risk-benefit analysis. Mm. We have to balance, you know... Whether we think it's it's more of a risk to to get COVID and go through the the natural immune process, which your body is designed to do, mm. or if you you think if you're going to put faith in these products and believe that they are going to provide you with some protective, neutralizing or non-neutralizing antibodies, for example, go ahead, make mm. that decision. Um, if somebody wants to find out more about what you do, because I want to do more of these, because you and I are. We're on the same, we have the same connection. Wavelength. Wavelength, that's right. <laughs> well, wavelength, because you love wavelengths. But, yeah, especially I sure do. Bit. Yeah, you're a surfer, seaweed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> somebody wants to find out more, though. How do they do that, Doctor? Well, I have a website that I've constructed as part of this RVARES project. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go to HTTPS I slash do slash not slash consent dot netlify dot app. 
I know that sounds terrible, but it's this long. is uh yeah, this is how you get your R code uh to make pretty pictures so other people can see it. Mm-hmm. Um so that would be the best. And you can find my uh my C V there, you can find my email and, and I'm not one of those people that uh that isn't real. So if you email me, I, I will answer eventually. My my email stack is getting kind of big. So um yeah, if you have any questions or or uh yeah, I, I, I'm very happy to respond. I'm I'm still a human, which I think is uh really important right now. Doctor Jessica Rose, thank you very much. You're so welcome. Paul DiMartina is a prominent Melbourne identity and general manager of the Maros Hotel in South Melbourne. The Victorian government's COVID elimination strategy has brought small business to its knees and ripped the heart out of a once vibrant and beautiful city. From leafy South Melbourne, a fabulous hotel is Lamaro's. Paul DiMartina, he's the head honcho there. Paul, great to see you once again. Mike, how are you going? You're well? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, you're not so well. Uh, tell us the, the latest uh, with uh, uh, Chairman Dan's mandates. Mandate, well, it's a roadmap to nowhere. So, listen, to be honest with you, I really tried not to take it in too much yesterday because I knew what was coming and it's just more doom and gloom. So, cut a long story short, we are still in lockdown for another five weeks. Another five weeks. So, this short, sharp, snap lockdown that was meant to be for a week is now... We're into week six already, so it's going to be 11 weeks by the time we are out of it. That's if he sticks to his word, which I don't trust. But you've got to forget, don't forget that we then only had one week reopened, which I think was the last week of July, the first week of August. We had seven days we were allowed out of jail here in Victoria, mm-hmm. and then we were put back in jail. So we had, I think, two or three weeks prior to that, which was meant to be a snap lockdown again that got extended. So effectively, we've been in lockdown since I just have to cast my I'd say from basically the start of July so again like last year that's July August September and all of October in lockdown so we have officially become the lockdown city of the world Mm -hmm. and our chairman is beating his chest about it he couldn't be happier he's the most he's a big narcissist he's also uh, he has no empathy or compassion for what's actually out there and yesterday to hear him in a press conference um, and I didn't listen but you know then the one little bit of video that got sent to me that he everything was based on an assumption, on an assumption, on another assumption. He bases things on assumption. You know, where's the science behind some of this? He hides behind Brett Sutton's skirt. She shits me, Brett Sutton. She's a, you know, I can't stand her. Uh, oh, sorry, him, him, whatever he is. I just, he's just not a human. Uh, it's just sad what we're being put through at the moment. And the woke awaking, uh, we just need it to happen more and more because we just can't keep living under this, regime that just wants to control everything in our lives it's quite mm-hmm. frightening we don't hear much outrage in the media in fact probably no, zero. They don't, they don't, you don't care you know they're mm. all left they um you know there's one or two that try to write what's out there and be you know honest and pragmatic and realistic but the rest just you know they 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 uh, they've you know uh they they swoon over this mm. guy they love him and it's really sad that that's what their lives have become as well believing that what he's doing is a good thing. Pretty sad. Pretty what, sad existence. What about cafes in uh, and restaurants in Melbourne? Uh, how, how many do you think have been closed permanently since uh, Dan started his reign of terror? Oh, since the start of... So when this all evolved, when it started March 2020, I'd say you probably lost a good 
30% of Melbourne venues have closed for good. And now that we've got another five weeks, I guess there'll be at least another 10%. So, you know, you'd probably be looking at 40% of venues that would have closed from um, March 2020. Uh, and we are really a sad state. And you just have to see the exodus last week. Well, there was a, a, a graph was posted. Melbourne has lost 45,000 Victorians have left, sorry, Victoria, 45,000 have left Victoria in the last 12 months. Uh, most other states have had a gain in uh, population, all because of the exodus from our state, and it's going to continue. But that'll keep growing. The roadmap, uh, I'm just trying to work out where or what sort of respite will that have for, for businesses? Um, At this stage, nothing. At this stage, nothing. And even when we do get out, supposedly on October 26, there's still going to be, we're still got a noose around our necks. We're still, you know, um, going to be living with ridiculous restrictions. So just this whole control and fear and, um, as I said, it's frightening what they're trying to do to us and what they are doing to us and people are letting them get away. Well, they won't at the next election, I promise you that. But um, it's just, it's, it's killing us. And, you know, a lot of older people I speak to said they'd rather die living than die like they are now. And that's being isolated from family, from friends, from their loved ones. Mm. Um, you know, my father's been in and out of hospital in the last month and there's no doubt this has had an effect on him. And I promise you, Dan, I don't know, you probably don't even watch this, but if, if, you, if you're listening, I'm coming for you if and when my father passes away because of you. I'll be coming for you personally. The, when speaking of your, your dad and I mean, just the general population that you, you, know, you see around South Melbourne. And South Melbourne used to be a very cruisy place. Sometimes you get a bit of a smile, but it's a you know, really cruisy place. You've got Albert Park nearby. You've got um, St Kilda not far away. And you would see a lot of the locals because you would interact with them because you're a local pub. What's the attitude now? How, how's the, these lockdowns uh, affecting they're the, affecting the people? Them like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the families around here are going stir crazy. They want their kids back at school. And the anger in the community, it's its ridiculous, the anger. And what's also happened is all the, van, the, the mandates on the vaccines is just putting a wedge and more and more of a wedge between society and the divide. It's really divisive down here. And that's what Dan wants. He's, he's loving the fact that people are turning on each other. It's, it's pretty sad. We're not, mm. we're not the great state we used to be. And, you know, the great Australian spirit isn't here in Victoria at the moment where mm. we are a divided state and... You know, and it's boiling over when the protests and protesters are attacking police, police attacking protesters. Um, you know, if you're not wearing your mask down the street, someone wants to tell you off for it. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty ordinary place to be right now. And I'm not exaggerating when I say it. people actually don't get what we're going through. Anyone around the rest of Australia, I know New South Wales has been in lockdown, but at least they're already, you know, been shown a way forward, a pathway out. We're not. And, you know, you just look at some of the grubs that are running our states, McGowan, Palachuk, those sort of people, pretty ordinary leaders, and somehow people believe in them. It's the uh, the media too is doing a fabulous job of, of spreading the uh, the propaganda. Um, do do you think it's just? Now this is when I'm asking you to talk about something we hadn't planned. But do you think this is more than just health? I, something's going on. I, I don't know what I'm missing, but there's something out mm. there that's bigger than this. I, I agree. There's um, I believe there's something more than health going on. Um, I don't know what it is, but, you know, just to see the control that they want over us, the mm. fact that they want to mandate vaccines and everything else. I mean, I'm double vaccinated. For me, neither. I don't care whether you get it or you don't. Um, and if, if you choose not to, that's your choice. And they're trying to take the choice out of people's lives. We don't live in a communist regime. We're meant to be a democratic country. We're not even a country anymore. We're, 
we're six or seven countries in one. All the states have become countries that you can't even get into. Mm. So we, what happened to the unified Australia? Uh, Morrison needs to show some balls and grow some and try to stand up and be a man and lead the country properly. Um, and as for the rest of the states, it's just horrendous how we've all just turned on each other and are locking each other out. So much for being a great country. And mm. I mean, my grandparents came here because Australia was a lucky country. Well, you know what? I think there's a fair few uh, the exodus has begun of people who are leaving our country do you think the victorian government for example tying lockdown measures to vaccination targets uh are, you know are, are not the way to go and they're very cruel and, and very unkind yeah. aren't they 100 percent they are and then to get told in six months time that the passport your vaccine passport doesn't matter anyway so there's no incentive for people to get vaccinated so just let us live you'd rather mm. live and die living than what we're the way we're dying at the moment which is dying as a pri- prisoner in our own homes mm. and without any sort of hope or you know uh it's just a feeling of helplessness which is pretty cruel they are a cruel government and you know we just want a way forward and to believe that we we can live again and earn a, earn a living and mm. um you know kids want to get out and play sport they want to go to school mm. they want to see their friends they want to socialize and all this is being stripped from them Anyway, it's uh, let's just hope that mm. they stick to their word this time because it's become it's really numbing. And to say I'm numb, to say I'm angry, there's geez, like I've, the roller coaster of emotions is crazy at the moment. Mm. The um, how does business survive? I mean, this is a really busy time of the year now, supposedly for for you. You got the uh, oh, well, we Melbourne miss out Cup, spring, spring carnival, yeah, yep. AFL grand final, spring carnival. You're coming into Christmas season. Mm. It's, it's diabolical. We've we've had you know this is the second year in a row we're we're missing out on what should be a really good time for us. Mm. So they're just trying to obviously eradicate the middle class and um, you know just feed the public servants, make them happy. Uh, you know Dan's just an absolute champagne socialist. He'll probably celebrate again tonight with a single malt scotch and thinking how good he is at controlling everyone's mm. lives. Mm. Anyway, he just keeps putting a rod in his back and he's got other things coming his way, no doubt hopefully sooner rather than later. What do you do yourself to, to change this? I mean, many have said that perhaps you should uh, do politics. Would you consider that yeah. even though you have a, a business to run, at the moment you have no business to run? No, we exactly no business at all at the moment. No, I'm seriously contemplating running. Um, there's also talk of a new political party that um, I'm sort of working mm. with a few people behind the scenes about potentially looking at that. So, yeah, there's a bit more watch this space, but I'm, you know, I'm probably going to... probably more leaning towards it just because I can't sit here and whinge and bitch and moan and complain mm. without doing something about it. So I'm, I'm a doer rather than a sayer. So, um, you know, I'm going to do something rather mm. than just keep talking about it. So, yeah, watch this space. Got to stop, doesn't it? It does. Paul Divertina from Fabulous Lamaros. Now, Paul, if somebody wants to see what you could be like, how do they do that? Oh, you know, just you can jump on our website, lamaroshotel.com.au, but we're at 273 Cecil Street in South Melbourne. So whenever you're in Melbourne, if you're allowed in here, come and visit us because uh, we'll be here to serve you some great food and some good times. Yeah, I can't get out of Queensland. It's, um, it's, it's, it's starting. I'm starting to get a cabin fever, let me tell you. <laughs> I could imagine. Paul, thank you very much. Uh, good on you, Mike. Cheers, mate.